church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. There is a river running wild that I can't cross over. Water is deep and the waves are high and the wind is blowing. I don't know where it goes, which way the current goes. I'm just Hola, buenos dias. Como estas? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean, and it is great to be back with you. Bringing us into the show today is River of Life. It's a song by Josh Blakesley on his album, Immersed. You can find more information and a link to Josh Blakesley on my website at www.catholichack.com. And there, on the right-hand side, you'll see content channels. Look for Behold the Man, and then look for the show notes to episode seven. Well, today we have a very special guest, Joshua LeBlanc. Joshua LeBlanc is a a partner of mine. We produce another radio show called Finding Your Keys, a field guide for the everyday Catholic on Radio Maria in Alexandria, Louisiana on Thursday nights. And today, Josh and I are going to be talking about a father who keeps his promises right here on, uh, on the show today. So let's begin with some prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all glorious and gracious God, we praise you. We come before you. And we just sing your praises. Thank you, dear Jesus, for all that you've done for us, for your love poured out for us on the cross, giving us new life, rejuvenating us, pouring forth your grace that we too might know salvation, that we also might become sons and daughters of the Most High. We thank you for dying on that cross for us. But not just that, but also being resurrected on the third day and defeating death and opening up the gates of heaven for us, giving us the power and the grace through your sacraments in your church that you have given us, that through the sacrament of confession we might be restored to full dignity as children of God. So we thank you, dear Jesus, for these gifts, the gift and the beauty of your beloved church. And today we just want to just just share this great gift, this treasure found in a field with all the faithful. So we pray that you'll pour forth your Holy Spirit and give us the words that you wish to be said and that you will affect the hearts of all who listen. I offer this up humbly and beg your mercy, and I pray to your dear mother that she will intercede for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joshua LeBlanc holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Philosophy and Liberal Arts from St. Joseph Seminary College in Covington, Louisiana. Joshua, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure, Joe. Josh, the reason why I asked you on the show today is because we're going to be talking about a father who keeps his promises. We're going to be getting into this book in great detail over the coming weeks. In fact, we have partnered with St. Anthony Messenger Press, who has allowed us not only to talk in depth about the book, but also share segments of the audiobook right here on the show and then also offer that great product to you through the Catholic Hack website. So very excited about this opportunity. And Josh, as you know, as I've said with you many, many times and shared on this show very many times, this book is probably among my favorite books of all time. And the reason why I feel so strong about that, and I'd love to know why you also like this book. Um, The reason why I like the book is because it really helped me to see sacred scripture and the faith in a whole new light. It just seemed to me before that everything seemed sort of disjointed and nothing ever fit together. The Old Testament seemed really weird with all of its sacrifices and and an eye for an eye. And then you get into the New Testament and there's no more of that, you know, sacrificial need and, and it's all about love and let's all get along. You know, nothing really seemed to mesh. Right. This book helped me to see that differently and how perfectly the Old and the New really fit together. But Josh, what is your attraction to this book? Well, just to kind of explain a little bit of my background, um, because of the fact that I've always had a great interest in theology, I've never, uh, I've always found myself really in love with the teachings of the church, and really in, uh, really uh, more in depth with things like uh, canon law, and you know, pure theology, is like I like to call it. And what I had actually done in my life, and I was able to share this with Dr. Hahn, was that I had divorced scripture scholarship, biblical exegesis, from theology. I was convinced that you could do one without having to, 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 to have the other, that you could be a good theologian without necessarily having to know scripture. Um, and immediately, as soon as I picked up this book for my master's course at Franciscan University, I immediately fell in love with the book. Uh, as a Catholic growing up, as a credo Catholic, the, one of the things that uh, it's never really talked about is the Old Testament. You're kind of um, taught in CCD ca- classes that the Old Testament is something that existed for the Jews, and we're not worried about it. We're New Testament Christians. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard that phrase. And so we're New Testament. You don't have to worry about too much about the Old. And whenever I picked up this book, it became immediately clear to me that um, that's not the case that you cannot know where you are unless you know where you've been. And I think that's what a father who keeps his promises really meant for me, uh, just because of the fact that it really is an explanation of God's covenantal promises to man from the beginning of time up until now. And unless you understand the, the, the various covenants God made with, with Moses, the covenants he made with David, uh, the covenants he made, all of these Old Testament covenants, unless you understand all of these covenants, you cannot understand the new and eternal covenant, the covenant in Jesus Christ. And that is really where I've, uh, I've found the, the interest 
in this book. In fact, I, I was so interested in it that it kind of overtook me. It really did. For a while, I put everything on the back burner and said, I really have to delve into this book. And I've read it three and four times now. In fact, um, recently, uh, about a year ago, I was able to do a scripture study series for my home parish on this book. And we did hour-long segments. And so I've got a 14-part series that I'm working on, that has already been recorded, that I'm working on releasing right now, that should be available soon, that uh, I did for, uh, f specifically for parishes, for individuals who want to learn more about a father who keeps his promises. Uh, just because of the fact that the book, I find, is really in-depth, and there's so much to learn there. And even still, uh, I, I, I can't help but get excited talking about uh, a father who keeps his promises and covenant theology in general. You know what I really like? I really loved typology. And this yeah. book really helps a person to understand how typology works, how it applies to uh, understanding and learning about the faith, and also giving you the skill sets you need to dive in deep into the New Testament, to really pull out the contextual meaning that the New Testament authors gave to us, and so that we can, we can totally understand what is going on, because... So often, there are things going on there that we don't even begin to grasp from that surface level, which is what we've sort of been trained with for, you know, decades now here in the United States in particular, from my own personal perspective. I can tell you, I can remember sitting there in Sunday school in the Protestant tradition when I was growing up, just totally not understanding what's going on. And then as an adult, I would read the New Testament and it would just seem, you know, I would read something a million times and it would just seem, okay, that's a little tiny bit of detail there. It really doesn't mean a whole lot. And then when you start to un understand typology, you know, for example, how about the baby leaping within the womb of Elizabeth there in Luke's gospel in chapter one, when our blessed mother goes to visit her there as she hastens to the hill country of Judea. And when she greets her upon hearing her voice, the voice of our of our blessed mother, the baby within the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy. Okay, I might have read that a, a, a dozen times. But once I started to learn typology, and I went back into the Old Testament to get the context in which we are to use to interpret that passage, 2 Samuel 6 and following, then we, we will understand what exactly is going on there. It's so much deeper. It's so much richer. It is like Indiana Jones diving into the temple and just discovering all these deeper and deeper levels. And then all of, you know, all of a sudden, it, the, the page of Scripture comes alive before us. It's no longer a dead letter, but a, the living Word of God. And that's the power, I think, uh, that this book really helps the layperson, the average person, really to grasp. Now, Josh, let's start to talk, uh, dive into this book a little bit and started, start to get into that 30,000-foot view mm -hmm. and talk about the journey of mankind, salvation history. Let's talk about where this book begins. Let's set the stage for some of the basic concepts that this book starts us out in. Um, for example, I think it helps us to begin by understanding how does the Catholic actually read Scripture and how do we compare that to, say, some of our uh, Protestant brothers and sisters in, uh, in their ecclesial communities. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's an important thing we have to look at because as Catholics, when we look at Scripture, we recognize that, first of all, the, the written Word is, in and of itself, not 
all of Revelation. That's not something that necessarily Protestants uh, would hold. Uh, of course, uh, your listeners may be familiar with the Protestant doctrine of sola scriptura, that everything we need to know is contained in sacred scripture. That is surely not the Catholic position. The Catholic position is that um, sacred scripture is one of a threefold uh, piece of the puzzle that we need uh, for revelation. Uh, the other two pieces, of course, being the magisterium and sacred tradition. In fact, uh, there are individuals in the church, and I'm one of them, that also holds that really scripture is nothing more, as St. Paul says, than the tradition that has been written down. And so we as Catholics, again, recognize this. You have this, this threefold hierarchy of the magisterium, and you have sacred tradition and sacred scripture. And as Dei Verbum talks about all three of these and talks about how they're all on equal footing with one another. You cannot say that sacred scripture is more important than tradition, and you cannot say that the tradition is more important than the magisterium. All three of are on equal an equal footing. And so you have to give each one the same, uh, the same respect. Now looking at that, when you look at a father who keeps his promises, one of the, one of the, the, the major um, areas that I, keep, I tell people is so important when you have to, un in understanding sacred scripture, is first of all, as St. Jerome says, is that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ himself. And that is so true because of the fact that one of the, uh, when you look at the Proto-Evangelium, when you look at the, the, the gospel itself, okay, uh, the, the first gospel, which speaks about, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, but when you look back in Genesis and you see the word was God, the word was with God and the word was God, okay, you have this equation of God being the Word. And so if God is indeed the Word, and we believe Scripture to be the Word of God, then ignorance of Scripture is indeed ignorance of Christ, and which is, which is so beautiful. But when I say that is, when I look at my past, and I see that for a long time, I, I, was, I knew a lot about the, the New Testament, but not so much about the Old, it really... Uh, I was dismissing what I consider one of the most important aspects of sacred scripture. And specifically what Dr. Hahn talks about in A Father Who Keeps His Promises is divine pedagogy. And I know, Joe, you're very familiar with divine pedagogy as well. Um, this teaching that God works through various means. Now let's explain that, uh, I guess, if, for, for your listeners. That means that Everything in sacred scripture, the Old Testament, though, even down to the most mundane detail, has a meaning. And it's there for us uh, because that is how God is choosing to work through those individuals at that certain period of time. Um, I guess a good way to explain it is, as a parent, your knowledge is obviously more, more, um, more infinite than your two-year-old two-year-old child. And so you don't sit down to your child and say, let me explain to you quantum physics. <laughs> that child would look at you 
and go, I don't understand what you're saying. What are you, what are you talking about? No, you want to look at your child and you tell that you, you will sit down and you explain things to them in the manner which they can receive it and in the language that they understand. And so uh, you wouldn't sit down to, again, the, the two or three-year-old and, and start explaining to them um, mathematic, mathematical formulas or the quadratic uh, equation or any of those things. You'd start off by explaining to them that one plus one is two and two plus two is four, and then eventually you build up so they're at a point where they can understand many years later what you are trying to get across to them. And God does the same for us. And I think that's one of my, my favorite reasons for looking at Scripture in addition to, as you talked about, typology. But when you look at this idea of divine pedagogy, you see that exactly God really comes to meet us where we're at. He gives us no more than we can handle. And so uh, when you look at the Old Testament, you see how the Jews had hardened hearts and they weren't ready to accept certain things that God made concessionary um, uh, things for them because they weren't ready to accept it. In fact, Jesus Christ, when, he, when he's questioned about divorce, he says, Moses allowed divorce, divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. And that's really what divine pedagogy is about, is that God recognizes where we are. And he says he sees the hardness of our hearts sometimes. And he doesn't require more of us that he knows that we can handle. And so when you look at this story from Adam all the way through now, you simply see God building upon himself and building upon himself until we get to the point where we can finally accept Jesus Christ as, um, as our Savior, really, as the one who comes to redeem the world. Uh, and that's where, uh, Dr. Han, when you see, you go through all of these different covenants, beginning with Adam up through all of these, the, again, these, these Old Testament covenants with, with Moses and David and all of these individuals, you get to the point where you have the new and eternal covenant, Jesus Christ. And simply, uh, I guess a good way also to put it, is it kind of reminds me, um, I don't know if you're a, a, a children's movie fan, Joe, but I tell you what, when Disney and Pixar come out with, with features, I love going to the movie theater because... I don't have to worry about, you know, all of the racy, uh, the racy words and those sorts of things in them. And so lately, uh, these, these movies have come out, and I can go and I can, you can watch them at a, uh, and not have to be worry, worry about your senses being bombarded with things they shouldn't be. But what's great about these films is that they really operate on two levels. They have, you have those things which the children understand, and so it's enjoyable for them. But you also have it operating on a level for adults so that the adults understand things that the children don't understand. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's bad. But I think that's a good example of kind of what's happening in divine pedagogy is you have sacred scripture operating on multiple levels. And so people immediately look at sacred scripture. For example, Protestants look at sacred scripture and fundamentalists say, no, you have to accept it. At its literal meaning, uh, exactly what it says is what it is. Um, it can't be talking about anything else. And so what happens whenever you do that, you throw away uh, what Catholics talk about these other senses of Scripture, the, sense, the spiritual sense, the tropological and anagogical senses. All of these senses are, are thrown away when you look at biblical fundamentalism. 
uh, which again primarily focuses on the fact that what Scripture says must be what it means. And so if it talks about um, that the earth was created on, in six days on the seventh God rested, then it must be six 24-hour periods and God rested for a 24-hour period. Well, we as Catholics recognize, no, that's not necessarily the case because God is trying to break, bring a meaning across, uh, not necessarily... The truth isn't in exactly what happened. The truth is what the words are trying and what the, the, the passage is trying to portray. And I think that is where there's a major a rift and difference in where we as Catholics and, and Protestants uh, really understand sacred scripture. Paragraph 110 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, In order to discover the sacred author's intention, the reader must take into account the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres and use at the time, and the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating the current, then current. For the fact is that truth is differently presented and expressed in the various types of historical writing, in prophetical and poetical text, and in other forms of literary expression. The reason why I wanted to quote from that particular passage of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is because it really brings out that the intent is to get to the author's intent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. When I was a Protestant, it was, what do I get out of this verse? You know, how does this verse make me feel? But that's not how we interpret Scripture. That's not the proper way to interpret Scripture. The proper way is to, what did the author want me to understand when he wrote this? And I think if we, if we focus on that, then we can get to those, some of those deeper meanings. Now, again, as you said, Scripture works on various modes or senses, and the Catechism right. actually talks about those mm -hmm. senses. And so... Sure. Getting to the author's intent is not the only valuable sense or method, but it is a crucial one, and one I think that gets ignored way too often. Right. Which brings me to the next point that I really want to talk about, and this is another, you sort of touched on it uh, somewhat when you referenced the six days of creation, um, but is, and a father who keeps his promises really goes after this particular topic, is Bible, is the biblical stories of creation myth? Or are they uh, factual? Are they chronologically written out like that of the uh, USA Today newspaper? Or are they just stories invented by a people who had no idea how they were, they came to be, but needed something to pass on? So they all got together, did a brainstorm session, and wrote a pretty good tale. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a very good question. I think one of the things you have to look at is... Um, one of the, the documents of the Pope's uh, Providentissimus Deus in there, I believe it was, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, I believe it was Pope Pius XI who wrote that. And he speaks in that specifically when he talks about how Scripture is true. Everything in Scripture is true. We believe it to be true. But I think a good way to put it is, as Dr. Timothy O'Donnell of Christendom College said, is that... Um, Scripture is historical, but yet it's not necessarily meant to be historically accurate. And I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, because Scripture is meant to teach certain truths. Yes, we know this. But it's not meant to be, uh, it's not meant to teach historical truth necessarily. But again, it is a historical document. It's not, uh, it's not meant to teach scientific uh, truths. 
certainly, because when you look at Scripture, it talks about in the days of creation, it talks about God uh, placing a dome to separate the water above the heavens between the waters below the heavens. Obviously, we know that the sky is not made of water, but Scripture was not trying to teach that scientific truth in that statement. That's, again, where you have the difference between the scriptural author and God is author of Scripture. And that's, that's something else I want to bring out too, Joe, is because to understand that, you have to recognize that there are really, uh, that are really two authors of sacred Scripture. You have God, who is ultimately the divine author. Um, one of the good ways to put it is that he is the author. He is the one who inspires. He is the one who is the true author of sacred Scripture. But then you have the scripture writer himself, all of the prophets of the Old Testament, and of course the evangelists of the New, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, all of these individuals who write these New Testament books are the scriptors. These are the people who are actually putting the pen to the paper. And so while the Holy Spirit is truly inspiring them to write what he wants them to write, of course, being human, they're going to write it in the capacity that they write that they that they write so they're inspired it's not as though the holy spirit completely possesses these individuals and so their humanity is removed and the holy spirit's just sitting there with a pen writing no that's not how it works uh you have of course i guess a good way to put it is you have divine word and god's divine plan meted out through the human uh the human person with the pen sitting at the at the at the paper and that's what you have to remember, because as we as you kind of talked on, is that's where you have these these the the four senses of scripture. You have, of course, again that literal sense in catechism, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs one fifteen through one nineteen, reference these four scriptures. But four senses, I mean, you have the literal sense, which breaks down into uh, well, to begin with the literal sense again. You have, as the Catechism says, the meaning conveyed by the words of scripture. The actual event, person, thing described in the biblical text. Okay, you have exactly what it's saying, which may be the level that it's writing on. But you also have the spiritual senses of Scripture. And there are three different breakdowns of the spiritual senses. The allegorical sense, how those things, events, or persons, in the literal sense, to point to Christ and the Paschal Mystery. And that's where one of your things you talked about typology really comes into play. Is you have how is what is going on here with the scripture writing author is writing about uh, pointing to the mystery of what is happening. And this is something that most probably the person who is writing sacred scripture, this again the scriptor, the scriptor, scripture writer is not aware of. Uh, uh, certainly. They're aware of what they're writing and how it applies at that moment. But they're not seeing, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. We as Catholics can look back to the writings of the Old Testament and look at it and say, well, I understand now how they're talking about Christ. Specifically when you read uh, the book of Isaiah, you simply see, uh, you can't help but look at Isaiah and see how he's talking about Christ. Christ is the, the forerunner. Christ is the Messiah. But obviously, Isaiah was not thinking about Christ when he wrote this. No, he was writing what, the, again, the, what he 
uh, what he felt he was needed to write, but that which the Holy Spirit inspired him. A second spiritual sense, again, is that moral sense, and it's a point, it's how uh, the literal sense points to the Christian life in the church. And you see this throughout all of Scripture, how it points to living morality, specifically looking at uh, things like the Ten Commandments, and you look at how Scripture teaches us right living. And this third spiritual sense, the anagogical sense, is how the literal sense points to Christians' heavenly destiny and the last things. You look at, uh, the, of course, the book of Revelation is filled heavily with the anagogical sense. Um, you cannot look at the book of Revelation and, and merely look at it and go, well, John is literally seeing all of these things and saying this is literal. No, it's a heavy, heavy heavily anagogical gogical book. And, you know, you have to look at all of these, these senses and tie them back in and realize that, uh, again, that you have these two, these two levels in which Scripture speaks on. The, the, the heavenly author being God himself and the Holy Spirit. And, of course, but you can't negate the fact that there is human involvement. Joshua, thanks so much for being a guest on today's show. We sincerely appreciate that. If you'd like to know more about Joshua LeBlanc, please visit his website at www.defendingcatholictruth.com. There will be a link on my website at www.catholichack.com. That's all one word, catholichack.com. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. <laughs>